Today on The Matt Walsh Show, a new poll finds that a majority of Americans think that our country is systemically racist. They're wrong, of course, but what does it tell us that so many Americans uh, believe that? What are, what are the implications of this? We'll talk about that. Also, five headlines, including the continued bloodbath in Chicago, while the mayor uh, is mainly concerned with tweeting about Donald Trump, and the left's latest discovery that BMI, which is the body max mass index, which tells us whether people are fat or not, Turns out that's racist. Yeah, um, and I'll, I'll, I'll tell you why. And in our daily cancellation, I will be canceling the Trump campaign. May not be the most ideal time to be canceling the Trump campaign, but I have a, a good reason, and I'll explain that as well. All of that coming up. But starting here, there's a poll from the Wall Street Journal and NBC that's getting a lot of attention. It finds that a majority of Americans, including white Americans, believe that American society is racist, is, is, is fundamentally inherently racist. And this, I believe, is the, the largest number that we've ever seen in these polls. Here's a look at some of the graphs. So 56% say American society is racist, significantly more women than men, um, but almost half of men, 51%, uh, or you know, almost half of men, and then 51% of whites believe this, 78% of blacks, 82% of Democrats, not surprised there, 30% of Republicans which is actually quite high. Now, I'm not, not surprised by that either, but that's quite high. 45% of independents. And then if you look at who exactly is supposed to be the target of this racism, the majority, very sizable majority, say that black uh, people are, are you know, the ones being discriminated against, also Hispanic, fewer would say Asian. And then it looks to be a little less than uh, 15%, I don't know, 12 or 13%, say whites are the ones discriminated against. Now, I want to talk about I want to talk about this and, and and talk about what it means, but let me read a little bit from the NBC report on this because it has more information. And I mean, it goes without saying, of course, that the reporting here is wildly biased. Um, but here's what it says: Amid a moment of national reckoning on racial issues and the mourning of one of country's most revered civil rights civil rights leaders, new members from the NBC News slash Wall Street Journal poll show, or numbers, I should say, show that American voters have become significantly more aware of racial discrimination and more sympathetic to those protesting to end it, even as the country remains deeply divided over the prevalence of bigotry and its root causes. Okay, notice the bias being worn right on the sleeve here, which is where I prefer for the bias to be worn. I think it's less dangerous when you're just upfront and obvious with it. Uh, this is the organization that conducted the poll and, but, but they don't say Americans think our country is racist. Americans believe our country is racist. No, they say Americans are becoming aware that our country is racist. In other words, America is definitely racist, says NBC, but now those dumb Americans are finally catching on. That's, that's the way they're framing this. The poll finds that voters in America are now more likely to say that people of color experience discrimination to describe athletes kneeling in protest of racial inequality as appropriate, to view the Black Lives Matter movement as a positive force, and to support the removal of Confederate monuments in public spaces. The poll um, found that a majority of Americans, 56%, say American society is racist. We already went over that. That share is almost unchanged since the Associated Press found 55% of voters saying American society is racist in a July 1988 survey. So we're supposed to believe over 30 years, what, there's been no progress? Not only is America still racist, but there's been, there's been no progress in, in terms of defeating racism. Even after having a black president for eight years, no progress. 
there's, we're still exactly where we were before. Um, 2008, just 28% of voters said the black, uh, black Americans are, are discriminated against, while 51% said they are treated fairly. But in this latest poll, the share who believe black Americans experience discrimination has jumped to 59%. Um, and then for the first time, the poll also asked the same battery of questions about the treatment of white Americans. About three in 10 voters overall say that white people receive too many special privileges, while 53% say white Americans are treated fairly, and 15% say they experience, those being white people, experience discrimination. Now you notice, another thing to notice, how confused the poll respondents are. Nobody has any idea what they're talking about here, or what they think. It's not just they don't have any idea what they're talking about. They don't even know what they think. Because what we take from this is that a large number of people, apparently, who think that American society is racist in favor of white people, also don't think that white people receive any special privileges. The number of people who think that white people receive special privileges is only 30%. Only 30% say whites are specially privileged, while over 50%, 56% was it, say America is racist. You see the disconnect here. There's there's 26% missing. If America is racist against black people, then we should see that white people receive benefits that black people don't. That would seem to be a necessary aspect of systemic racism. That, in fact, would be, uh, it should be one of the ways that you know systemic racism exists. That should be one of the symptoms, one of the indicators. Yet some of the people seems like a large number of people who think that America is racist against blacks don't think that this benefits whites in any way. So it's totally confused. All you have to do is reframe the racism question slightly and you get a radically different answer. And what that shows you is is people, again, it's not just that they don't know what they're talking about, although they don't. They don't even know what they really think about these issues. We also know that from from what it said before. You look at that ridiculous jump from 2008. uh, 28% of voters said that black Americans are discriminated against in 2008. 12 years later, 59%. Okay? The number has has doubled in 12 years. What what happened in the last 12 years? I mean, if, if you didn't think that black Americans were discriminated against on a systemic level in 2008, why would you think it now? What, what, what evidence can you marshal? I mean, what, another way of putting it, what actual evidence, if you are in that number, um, the, you know, 20, the 30% of people um, or so who didn't think that we were systemically racist in 2008, but now you think we are, what, what evidence did you stumble upon in the last 12 years that changed your mind? Well, I already know the answer to that question. I'll tell you what the evidence is. Uh, some, a, 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 a small smattering of high-profile cases of black people being killed by the cops. That's it. I mean, that's your evidence. And also, you know, just the chaos in the streets. And it's, it's the other, I think maybe even more than that, the evidence that probably has swayed you is just a lot of people screaming in your face, insisting that America is racist. And finally, you got beaten down and said, okay, fine, it is. And that was enough for you. If I'm wrong, and if there's some other evidence that you came across, some real evidence of systemic racism, 
that changed your mind, then tell me what it is. I don't think you can present it because I don't think it exists. Um, let's see. Uh, back to the article it says, despite the increased recognition of discrimination faced by racial minorities, there it is again, increased recognition of discrimination. Um, the country remains deeply divided on the root causes of racism. 46% of voters say that racism is built into the American society, um, including into the country's policies and institutions, while 44% say racism is perpetrated only by individuals who hold racist views. Okay. A few things to be said here. Before I say those, though, uh, I want to take a step aside for a minute to tell you about our sponsors at uh, Bambi. You know, HR issues can really kill you when you're running a small business. Uh, it's it's great to you know, have your small business, have all the freedom that comes with that. But it, you know, if you want it to run smoothly and if you want it to be as effective and to get everything that you can out of the experience of running a business, you need a good HR department. Wrongful termination suits, minimum wage requirements, labor regulations. I mean, there's so many things that get in the way that hamper your ability to succeed. To succeed. And HR manager salaries aren't cheap either. An average of $75,000 a year we're talking about. Well, Bambi, spelled B-A-M-B-E-E, was created specifically for small businesses. You can get a dedicated HR manager, you can craft HR policy, you can maintain your compliance, all for just $99 a month. So you could have $75,000 a year or $99 a month. Do the math on that. With Bambi, you can change HR from your biggest liability to your biggest strength. Your dedicated HR manager is available by phone, email, or real-time chat. From onboarding determinations, they customize your policies to fit your business. This is not a cookie-cutter approach. They're going to uh, narrow this down and, and, and look at what you actually need and give you what you need. So go to Bambi.com slash Walsh right now to schedule your free HR audit. That's Bambi.com slash Walsh, B-A-M-B-E-E.com slash Walsh. Okay. So on the issue of Americans thinking America is systemically racist, first of all, America is not systemically racist against black people. That's a myth. I've already explained why it's a myth. I provided the evidence. I'm not going to go uh, into it again. You can go back and watch the shows where I've talked about it. You can read the pieces that I've written or that many other people have written addressing this, this claim. There is no evidence to support the systemic racism claim. And some anecdotes that you have, that's not evidence. Anecdotes to include high-profile, very rare cases of black people being killed by the cops, especially when you consider that in many of those cases, like the Richard Brooks case, for example, the, the guy at the Wendy's in Atlanta, uh, or we could go all the way back to one of the, you know, one of the first in this, in this um, at least in the BLM age of Michael Brown, really the one that started it all. In those cases, uh, not only is that anecdotal, but actually the shooting was entirely justified. So of, of uh, you know, how many high-profile cases of unjustified police shootings have there been in the last five years? A few. There's been a few. That, that doesn't prove anything about systemic racism. It doesn't even come close to it, I'm afraid to tell you. Especially because, as has been pointed out many times by now, uh, we could also come up with even more examples of unjustified shootings of white people. Not high profile because nobody cares, but they are happening. Okay. Uh, in fact, the only example of explicit, official, systemic, state-sanctioned, or even state-mandated racism that I can think of, and again, if you could think of, of a different one, let me know. The only one I can think of right now is affirmative action. There you have policies 
that explicitly discriminate against certain groups. They discriminated against whites and also, uh, especially white men and also Asians. So that is explicit systemic discrimination. There's an example. Now, if you've got something like that, explicit state mandated or sanctioned official systemic discrimination written into a policy, if you you have an example like that, which targets black Americans, then let me know what it is. Uh, but I don't think you do have an example or can provide one. But the main thing we should take from this, I think, and, and keeping in mind that polls can only be trusted so much, and also the groups conducting it are clearly, clear, clearly biased, and also polls exist mostly to shape public opinion rather than to gauge it. But even so, all of that in mind, I don't doubt the basic thrust here, that an increasing number of Americans think America is racist, and that number, whatever it is, uh, is probably over 50%. I buy that. So what we take from that, first of all, um, the conservative case cannot win, cannot prevail in a culture that sees itself as racist. There is no, uh, there is no such thing as a conservatism that also buys into or even entertains this idea of systemic racism. And I'll tell you why. Because conservatism is supposed to be about conserving. If it means anything, it means conserving, defending, maintaining, right? What are we conserving? Well, that's a good question. We should probably figure that out at some point. I would say that we are conserving the nuclear family. We're conserving the sanctity of life. We're conserving the Constitution. We're conserving rationality. We're conserving objective morality. We're conserving Western civilization. And now we're even fighting to conserve basic scientific truths, like the difference between men and women, um, which is a very important fight as well. The problem is that the BLM set would tell us, have told us, is currently shouting at us, and you can see it on their website if you want. They tell us that all of those things, to include concepts like objectivity, are channels of white supremacy. These are not just relics of white supremacy. These are current active agents of it. The Constitution, nuclear family, all of that is part of the systemic racism problem. Which actually makes sense from their point of view. Because if America is inherently, you know, these are things that are inherent to, the, to America, to the American identity. Um, and if America is inherently racist, then those things must be as well. So we cannot be successful in conserving these things if the left is successful in painting them as racist, which means that we cannot win as conservatives if the America is racist narrative is winning. It's really one or the other. Right now, it's the other. Right now, they're, they're the ones winning, which means we have our work cut out for us. And it also means, but people ask me all the time, how do we how do we uh, come back from this? How do we reclaim the culture and all that? Well, there isn't any flip we can switch. There isn't any easy one two step plan. One two three, you know, follow the steps type of type of thing. Um, step by step plan for reclaiming the culture. It isn't as easy as that. It also isn't as quick as that. And everyone's looking for the quick fix, immediate, you know, gratification. But that doesn't exist with this. 
This is a generational fight. This is what I keep saying. It's important for us to realize. It's a generational fight. The left has gotten to us, gotten us to this point by infiltrating all of our you know, major American institutions, the family, academia, media, corporate America. Um, and that's how they've succeeded. They've done it over generations. If we're going to uh, fight back, it's going to be a generational struggle that happens over the, over the long term. You know, we have to b- sort of buckle up and be ready for that, for a fight that takes that long. And, you know, we have to be willing to fight um, for our kids and our grandkids. I mean, and our great-grandkids, for, 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 for people in our families that we'll never meet. We have to be willing to look at it that way. Because if you think you're fighting, you know, if you're an adult in America today and you're fighting because for your own sake, because you don't want to live in a country like this and you want to make it better for you, well, that's understandable. I get that. But it's probably not going to get much better under your watch. This is going to take longer than that to fix. All right. um, Let's go to five headlines. Today's five headlines brought to you by the Benham Brothers. Learn how to own a business without it owning you. Get a 15% discount on the Benham Brothers' new course, Expert Ownership, at BenhamBrothers.com slash Walsh. Number one, 15 people were um, shot while leaving a funeral in Chicago yesterday. Here's the, the local report on that. Chicago police telling us that there were 14 gunshot victims in this one incident that happened near 79th and Carpenter here in the Auburn-Gresham neighborhood tonight. The shooting actually happened outside of a funeral home as a group was exiting that funeral home. A car drove by and uh, started firing at that group. We are learning more about the person being remembered. It was a service for Donnie Weathersby. He was 31 years old. He was shot in the head a week ago in Inglewood. Again, this happened around 6.30 tonight. Chicago police telling us it was that black car that drove by the funeral home on 79th and passed by that funeral home firing shots into a crowd. Again, 14 people were shot. But Chicago police say they found 60 shell casings on scene, and that was because the crowd actually started firing back at the occupants in that car. Chicago police believe there may have been four occupants in that car. They say that they do believe that they have one person of interest in custody. So just another day in Chicago, really, I guess. That's what it's like in the city, in in many cities, Chicago especially. But Chicago's mayor, Lori Lightfoot, she says that the citizens of her city, you know, they're not really worried about this about armed men gunning them down in mass while they're walking down the street. They're not worried about that. What they're worried about are the federal law enforcement officers that Trump has sent into Portland um, to take control, and really specifically to defend the federal building there that the angry mob has repeatedly tried to burn down. We're told somehow this is a very unreasonable step by the president to try to prevent the mob from burning down a federal building. How dare you, you tyrant. Here's the tweet that Lori Lightfoot sent out um, on the same night that over a dozen people were sprayed with bullets in her city. She says, under no circumstances will I allow Donald Trump's troops to come to Chicago and terrorize our residents. Yes, terrorize our residents. You really think, Lightfoot, you incompetent, ridiculous hack? You, you think that's what your residents are terrified by when they're walking down the street? You think they're worried about a federal agent coming, coming and, and shooting them? No, they're, they're worried about what happened to those people leaving the funeral. 
just got randomly shot. This is happening every day in your godforsaken hellhole of a city. That's what they're terrified of and terrorized by. Number two, Ringo checking in. Ayanna Presley uh, sent out this tweet. says, cancel rent, cancel mortgage, cancel student debt. 86,000 likes on that. Doesn't take a lot of effort for the left, for leftist politicians. Um, and yeah, I like it too. I'm, I'm going to add it. We'll make it 86,001 likes because I, I like it. Only I prefer to add to it. You know, let's like, yeah, cancel all those. Let's also cancel while we're at it. Um, sadness, loneliness, tummy aches, diabetes, death. That, that's a big one. Uh, asteroids. The law of cause and effect, you know, is to me really harsh as my buzz. I don't know about you. Gravity canceled, so we can fly, obviously. Um, and you know, why, why not cancel war and hunger while we're at it? We, we might as well. I, I can't believe no one's thought of that by now. Like that—that's quite an oversight. So cancel all the bad things. Here, here's the point. And this, is, and this is what Ayanna Presley is trying to say. And it's, it's really quite brilliant. What she's saying is, cancel the bad things, right? Now listen to this. Listen to the next part, though, okay? Cancel the bad things. All right, step one. Step two, have only good things. You see that? Really, um, inc- I mean, just... Incredible insight, brilliant strategy. And this is why we need people like Ayanna Presley in Congress with those kinds of ideas. Number three, Twitter's uh, cracking down on accounts and groups that are dangerous, which is good because, you know, I can think of some dangerous groups that are right now in the process of ripping American cities to shreds. You know, that uh, that that would be maybe a, a group you want to keep an eye on if you're Twitter or any other social media. I mean, they do use these social media platforms to organize and plan their um, felonious activity. So I I could understand Twitter cracking down on them. But only, of course, Twitter is not worried about those groups. Instead, they're targeting the QAnon people. Here's the announcement from Twitter in a long thread. They said, we've been clear that we will take strong enforcement action on behavior that has the potential to lead to offline harm. In line with this approach, this week we are taking further action on so-called QAnon activity across the service. Uh, We will permanently suspend accounts tweeting about these topics that we know are engaged in violations of our multi-account policy, coordinating abuse around individual victims, or are attempting to evade previous suspensions, something we've seen more of in recent weeks. Um, And then it uh, goes on from there. Let me just say, aside from the obvious absurdity of going after QAnon uh, when you've got Antifa using your platform to plan violent activity, Aside from that, if you're trying to tamp down a conspiracy theory, especially a conspiracy theory like QAnon, this is not the way to do it. This is actually the opposite of how you do it. I can think of no better way of, of, in the minds of QAnon people, confirming everything they think than by banning them in mass. First of all, acknowledging them by name. So it's not even just that Twitter saying conspiracy theorists, it's QAnon people, that's what they're saying, acknowledge it by name and say we are targeting them for suspension. In the mind of a conspiracy theorist, you have just, like if somebody was toying with the QAnon idea, if they were on the verge, 
if they were on the gateway of being a QAnon conspiracy theorist, you have just shoved them all the way over the edge with this. Um, which, if I want to be conspiratorial myself, I almost think that's part of the point for Twitter and other platforms. They want more people on the right to buy into this QAnon idiocy because it makes us look so stupid and it discredits us. So they like it and they're going to do anything they can to encourage it. If I wanted to be conspiratorial myself, I would say that maybe that's the point here. Number four. um, Okay, let me read this to you. This is good. Uh, Always good to be alerted when some new thing becomes racist. You got to keep up on this. And there's a new thing becoming racist every day. So it's really important. Uh, What I actually do is I have a... uh, an alert on my phone and I have it say there's an actually an app you can get. And anytime a new thing becomes racist, it'll send you an alert and I can just check, Oh, this is racist now. And I can just, you know, I'll pick up my phone. Um, even a couple mornings ago, I picked up my phone alert. It says pancakes are racist. And I thought, okay, good. Cause I was going to have pancakes for breakfast. They're racist. Now I'll go with waffles. Um, all right. So this is the latest thing. Actually that app doesn't exist, but someone needs to make that app. I throw that idea out there. Actually, I don't throw it out. I retract it because I might want to do that myself. Don't do it. You can't. Legally. I've just copyrighted it. All right? This is how it works. Uh, let's go to, uh, okay, where, where was this? Which, which ridiculous publication? Huffington Post. All right. Uh, it says, if a research group today conducted a study on a single gender or ethnic group, critics would be quick to point out that its findings couldn't reasonably be applied to anyone outside of that group or gender. It seems like basic logic, right? Unfortunately, such is the case with the body mass index, a weight to height ratio used by healthcare providers, insurance companies, and the scientific community. There is growing criticism for the use of BMI. For example, it doesn't take body composition, fat versus muscle into account, and a person's weight doesn't correlate directly with their health. However, there's not much mainstream discussion about its racist roots. Um, And then, okay, let me get to the part, because this is what matters. They're saying BMI is, they start by saying BMI is, is not a great way of actually measuring whether or not someone is fat, overweight, or, or unhealthy. I actually agree with that. I think it's not good. I, 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 think, it's, I think it is a, not a very effective tool in that way. But they also claim that it's racist. So let's go. This is where they explain the racist roots of the body mass index. The racist roots of the, body, of the BMI index go back a long way. Created by Belgian mathematician Adolphe Quetelet in 1832 as the Quetelet Index, the scale was created, I think we should still call it the Quetelet Index, it's more fun to say. The scale was created using data from predominantly European men to measure weight in different populations. Although Quetelet noted that it was a population-level tool and not meant to be used on individuals, physiologist Ansel Keys reintroduced the calculation in 1972 as the Body Mass Index. Um... So that's it. Those are the racist roots. If you were waiting for something else, I was too. That that's it. That's their whole. That's why it's racist. Is because it was used um, for the data. They originally used a lot of European men. That makes it racist. Like it's some sort of conspiracy against black people. Uh, but this is, of course, everything has to be right. On the left now, they can't just merely criticize something. It has to also be racist. Which in this case is completely pointless, as it often is, because you can easily make the case. If you have a problem with the BMI index, you can easily make the case on a scientific level. We don't need to get into 
it's somehow BMI, somehow a body mass index is racist. That's absurd. We don't need to get into that. There, there are many solid scientific reasons. There are a lot of health experts who would tell you that this is not a very effective way of measuring whether or not someone is really healthy or not. Uh, and I agree with that. Maybe I'm, you know, and, and maybe it's a little bit selfish on, on my part because, you know, I've looked at BMI indexes and that sort of thing before and then tried to calculate where I am. Am I overweight? And oftentimes on those things, they'll tell me that I'm overweight. I don't feel like I'm overweight. I don't think I look overweight. Maybe I do. Uh, it's possible, but I don't think that I am. So maybe there's a little bit of, you know, maybe it's a little bit self-serving on my part, but uh, I don't think it, it always takes into account every everything that needs to be taken into account. All right, um, let's go to number five. Easy transition here from Huffington Post to Teen Vogue. Um, and you know what? I wasn't going to read from this, but I've done too much reading already, and I can't even. The title, the, the headline is, Black Power Naps is Addressing Systemic Racism in Sleep. I can't even stomach. I, I'm sorry. I was going to read some of this. I'm sure it's pretty funny. What they're claiming is that, well, it's just right there. There's systemic racism in sleep now. Sleep itself is systemically racist. And they actually call for, the writer of this article, uh, Brittany Ma- uh, McNamara, at some point, let me see if I can at least find this part. At some point, she talks about sleep reparations that are needed. We need to have, on top of regular reparations, money. There also need to be sleep reparations. I'm not sure exactly how that will work. Um, you know, I kind of feel like, you know, if you're a black person, you want to take a nap, go take a nap. I, I don't think you need specific reparations here. Just like anybody else, if you want to take a nap, you could probably carve out some time in the day to do it. Uh, not much of a napper myself, but anyway, all right. I'm not even gonna. I, I, sorry, I can't. I can't do it. You can go to Teen Vogue yourself and read that article if you want to. Let's go to our daily cancellation. Uh, but before we do, you know, there's there's so much going on in the world right now, and it's hard to keep track of everything that's happening, and especially to get the news without the leftist spin. Uh, but if you want to do that, that a readers pass is a great way to do it. You can go to dailywire.com and get a reader's pass. This is a membership tier. It's already a bargain at $3 a month. We've knocked it down. First month is 99 cents. So, I mean, it's basically as cheap as it could possibly be. You can get your access to our mobile app and receive push notifications for breaking news and special content, as well as you could join the community of Daily Wire members who are actively commenting and discussing our content with each other. That's mobile ad-free access to all of our Daily Wire news, exclusive op-eds, and all of our podcasts on our mobile app, all for the low price of $1. Go to dailywire.com slash subscribe. Okay, today for our daily cancellation, uh, I'm afraid to tell you that the Trump campaign is canceled. Just canceled. Uh, The the campaign as it is currently being run is canceled. They can start a new campaign. I'm not saying they have to shut down the campaign completely, uh, but they're going to have to start a new one because the, the current one is canceled. Let me give you an example as to why it's canceled. And yes, this is one tweet. Fine. But it's indicative of a larger pattern. So yesterday, Ivanka Trump, who after nearly four years in the administration, has at no point managed to demonstrate why she deserves to have a job in the administration, aside from the fact that she's daddy's favorite, I guess. Um, But Ivanka Trump tweeted this. uh, and, And this is in response to another tweet from a Dem operative from back in the primaries. 
And that was something attacking Joe Biden for an op-ed that he wrote nearly 40 years ago where he laments a daycare tax credit, which, is, which he said was being given to a lot of higher income families who didn't need it. And he points out that it's, it's not good for our society to encourage people to place their kids in daycare, uh, to go out of our way to do that, uh, where they're going to place kids in daycare all day while their children are being deprived of that, you know, uh, uh, you know access to their parents in that stable family environment. So th- this piece that he wrote, I forget what, the, what publication it was in, is a defense of the nuclear family, basically, and um, an attack against materialism and a lot of new age values. It's maybe the sanest thing Joe Biden has ever said or wrote. But in the primaries in 2020, if you're a Dem, being sane or formally sane at least is embarrassing. So they tried to attack him for it. It didn't work. And obviously he won the primaries. Now, now Ivanka, for some reason, randomly has resurrected this line of attack, which already failed in the Dem primaries, and she's hoping to bring it over to the general. Here's Ivanka's tweet. She says, I couldn't agree more with Senator Gillibrand and Senator Schumer and spokeswoman and advisor Meredith. Uh, uh, Joe Biden should explain to America how a mom working leads to the deterioration of the family. Biden in his own words below, and then she links to the, to the article. Now, this represents an attack on Biden by the Trump team from the left. It's an attack actually from the far left. They're attacking him for once defending the nuclear family and pointing out that it's not a positive thing for society to shift uh, so completely to a scenario where, where you know, all, almost every kid in America is in someone else's care during the day rather than they're in, in the care of their mother. It's, it's, that's not a positive societal development, and there are going to be some real ramifications to that. Joe Biden was right about that, of course. This is a far-left attack from Ivanka Trump, a member of the Trump administration. And I know you might say, well, well, yes, but um, for leftist voters, this could be effective. And so that's why she's bringing it up. No, it wasn't even effective in the Democrat primary If an attack from the left didn't work in the Democrat primary, it's not going to work in the general. Why would it all of a sudden work now when it didn't work before? Listen, far leftists and regular leftists, if they exist anymore, and moderate leftists, anyone who's even slightly leftist, none of them are voting for Trump, I hate to tell you. They hate his guts. They want him gone. They want him in jail. They hate him. You, you I, 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 they, they have never hated anyone as much as they hate this man. I'm sure you've noticed that by now. You aren't, um, you know, you're not winning them if you're Trump. That's not going to happen. Attacking Biden from the left to appeal to them is a fool's errand. What you need to do is mobilize the right. And there are many people on the right who are completely demoralized right now. And, uh, and you have to earn as many votes from the middle as you can and from the politically disinterested as you can. And to everybody in those groups, again, the only groups you can post, possibly hope to win, this op-ed from Biden is perfectly reasonable and correct. And any attack from the left against him will not work with the groups that you need to win and the only groups you can win. So I said this is indicative of something. 
That is the Trump's team utter failure to come up with a coherent and consistent anti-Biden message. They have no idea how to label this guy. The messaging is all over the place. It's schizophrenic. One minute he's Sleepy Joe. The next minute he's a radical leftist agent of social destruction. Uh, the next he's actually not leftist enough. See, this, this doesn't work. This isn't how you do it. This is terrible branding. It's impotent. It's incompetent. I'm just some idiot with a podcast, and I know this. Trump is supposed to be some sort of branding genius. The people around him should be professionals at the top of the game. I mean, they've gotten to the highest level. How could they fail this utterly with one of the most basic jobs in running a campaign? And that is the, is, is the job of defining your opposition. This is supposed to be the thing that Trump is best at. Now, let me tell you, Sleepy Joe is lame. That's not taking. It's not working. Nobody cares. It's not resonating. I know if you're on the right, you might like it. You might say, no, Sleepy Joe is great. Okay, fine, but it does it that doesn't it doesn't matter if you like it. Forget Sleepy Joe, okay? Um, n- nobody is going to be swayed on election day by the thought of Joe Biden being sleepy. I just don't think that's not the kind of thing that mobilizes people that that, that get that, that that excites real passion. Uh, I got to vote for Trump because the other guy is sleepy. No. Now, crooked Hillary. I got to vote for Trump because the other the, the, the other candidate is crooked, is corrupt, is a, is a criminal. Yes, okay, that works. That will drive people to the polls. No one's going to show up to the polls and, and, and you know, it's a, a, someone, a pollster asks them, you know, why, why, why are you voting the way that you are? Well, I'm just worried about how sleepy Joe Biden is. You know, I just don't want a sleepy guy in there. In fact, if anything... The idea of having a sleepy few years after the unrelenting chaos and madness we're currently experiencing seems kind of viscerally appealing. I think a lot of people will hear that and say, that sounds great. You kidding me? I, I wouldn't mind having a little bit of sleepiness right now. Um, a similar problem with the attacks related to Biden's son, Hunter. The Hunter Biden stuff is red meat for conservatives on social media, but nobody else cares. You know, and and in general, trying to take down a politician by attacking his family rarely, if ever, works. I can't even think of an example when it ever has worked. You know, some of the anti-bill stuff against Hillary was effective, but in the end, she lost because she's Hillary. She lost on her own accord, and she was very, very easy to brand. Like I said, Trump didn't have to do very much. Everybody already thought of Hillary as corrupt, and that was the message about her. It was an effective message. It was consistent. It was easy. It worked. Fine. The other problem with the Hunter Biden stuff is that it gives Biden a platform to talk about his family. And actually, in talking about his family, that's when he's the most compelling and relatable and heartfelt. Those are, those are actually great moments for him when he starts talking about his family. There was that one moment in the, on the campaign when he was, uh, I think it was a pastor, got up at a, at a town hall and asked him about you know, overcoming loss, and he started talking about his family. This this was a real, authentic, heartfelt, actually powerful moment, and I and I'm saying that okay, as one of the most cynical bastards and one of the most anti-democrat bastards you'll ever meet. Even I'm saying that seemed like an authentic and powerful moment. It's just to open the door for that when you're the opposition is politically suicidal. Um, what else? Trying to make Biden into a far leftist. That's no good either. It's not convincing. Nobody believes it. 
Nobody sees Biden that way or will see him that way. It just doesn't work. He's too much of a known entity at this point. He's been in politics for 700 years. Uh, everybody sees him as a moderate. And, uh, and, you know, I don't think he really is a moderate, at least not anymore, but that doesn't matter. What matters is how he's seen and whether you as the opponent can plausibly make people see him another way. Trying to make people see Biden as a far-left Marxist probably isn't plausible at this point, especially when the Trump team has attacked Biden from the left repeatedly and is still doing it. So what's left? The other option, obviously, is to define Biden as a senile old man, which he is, who will be used by the far left. Um, you know, he might not be himself, but he'll be used by the far left to enact their agenda, which he will be. So this has the advantage of being a, you know, a branding option and a line of attack that's, that's true, that's real. Um, but you know, it, it's also a little bit tricky to pull off, and it's risky. Um, it's probably the best tact. It's the reality, but it requires some wit and some prudence to pull off successfully. And wit and prudence aren't exactly the hallmarks of the Trump campaign, I'm afraid to say. Um, an example of the pitfalls here, okay? The senile stuff. Remember that old people vote. They vote more than any other demo. You can't win without the old people. There's a reason why we still have the Social Security system intact the way it is. Even though it's a total disaster, it's not going to be around for my generation. Everybody knows it. Uh, it's bankrupting the country. It's still around because no, you just you couldn't possibly, as a candidate, actually propose getting rid of it. Uh, the old people won't vote for you, and you're, you're finished. So they're going to get what they want. If you come off like you're attacking the elderly, or you're suggesting that older folks are incompetent, or that they have no business leading and should just go sit in the rocking chairs until death. If you do that, you risk making Biden sympathetic and, uh, and making older voters angry at you and having them go to Biden out of sympathy and spite. Sympathy to him and spite to you. That's a very real risk here. I don't, I don't hear enough people on the right and in the Trump campaign you know, like acknowledging this. You got to be careful with that. I'm not saying you don't you don't attack on this level. I think you do. And again, it's true anyway, and it really matters. The fact that we might have a guy who's going senile in office, he's going to be 79 years old. Um, by the, if, if he makes it through of his first term, which is, a, which is a big if as it is, he'll be, he'll be 83 years old at the end of his first term. This, this is, I, I've said before, it, it, your chances of, of at, over the age of 80, your, your chance of, go, of, of developing dementia is like 20% already. And that's if you go into your 80s without it. So that, you know, that is a, a, a very real thing, and I think it could be effective, but you have to be smart and consistent in your approach. And the Trump camp has been neither of those things at all. As for being a Trojan horse for the far left, yes, again, effective and true. But if you're going to go the Trojan horse route, once more, consistency is key. Let me show you how inconsistent. Again, the Trump camp has been. Laura Trump, another Trump kid who works for the campaign because Donald Trump is basically trying to corner the market on nepotism. Um, Laura Trump was interviewed by Breitbart yesterday. And let me just read, uh, let me just read one thing. She's talking about, okay, how, you know, what, what um, is on a Breitbart podcast. And she was talking about or their Sirium, Sirius XM. 
radio show. She was talking about the need to def- what I'm saying right now. We got to, you know, is it, the Trump campaign has to define Biden. This is what you have to do on a campaign. Uh, and here's what she says. Defining our opponent and talking about who Joe Biden is includes talking about his cozy past with communist China, talking about and talking about the fact that he supported the Clinton crime bill, which disproportionately incarcerated young black men in this country. Um, now, here's the problem. This, this article begins by saying that Laura Trump was saying we have to define former Vice President Joe Biden as in league with the far left socialist Marxist Dem- Democrats. Okay, so she wants to define him as in league with the far left, but also define him as someone who supported a, a, a crime bill that was a little bit, that was too harsh and that was even racist. You see the problem here? She's trying to paint him as far left, but then also tries to make him a racist who locks up black men and is too harsh on crime. No, no, you, you choose a lane. You can't do both. You can't straddle both lanes here. Moderate Americans and right-leaning Americans aren't going to be mad at Joe for supporting a crime bill. That's the last thing they're going to be mad about right now. If you're trying to beat him by painting him as in league with the far left, then do that. But don't throw in little asides undermining your own damned point, you idiots. And no, this is not a kind of thing where you just throw it again. You know, you might as well just say everything and people, it's like a grab bag of attacks and uh, whatever people like, they can grab out and, and, you know, whatever, whatever attack resonates with an individual, they can just go with that. It doesn't work that way. That's not how branding works. I mean, look at, look at products that are, you know, commercials for products. They don't, they don't, they don't, they don't, no, no one tries to, no competent marketing department tries to sell a product by giving you. 50 different things that you could think about this product, some of them contradictory. And then saying, whatever, you know, whatever, whatever works for you. Just think of the product that way. No, you give like one thing. Here's your message about this product. Buy it. Well, with Donald, with Joe Biden, if you're Donald Trump, it's, it's anti-marketing. It's here's the message about this product. Don't buy it. So that's why the Trump campaign is canceled um, until they figure out how to actually, you know, campaign. And I'm also canceling all of the sycophants and yes men, uh, including just pe- ran- random people on social media who are going to, you know, just just will not tell Trump he's wrong about anything and will just cheer as, as the campaign goes over a cliff. I'm canceling you guys too. And uh, all right, we'll leave it there on that note. Very positive note to end on. Thanks for watching, everybody. Thanks for listening. Godspeed. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review. Tell your friends to subscribe as well. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, Michael Knowles Show, and The Andrew Clavin Show. Thanks for listening. The Matt Wall Show is produced by Sean Hampton, executive producer Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producers are Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling. Our technical producer is Austin Stevens, edited by Danny D'Amico, And our audio is mixed by Robin Fenderson. The Matt Walsh Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2020. If you prefer facts over feelings, aren't offended by the brutal truth, and you can still laugh at the insanity filling our national news cycle, well, tune in to The Ben Shapiro Show. We'll get a whole lot of that and much more. See you there.